0: I hope that uh, you have uh, been ministered to in our series on on uh, on the parables as much as I have been impacted. You know, one of the mistakes I make as a pastor sometimes, I get really excited about something. And I'm really stoked about, you know, what God's done with me in that. And then I find out that I was the only one that enjoyed the series. Okay. One of the classic ones here at City Harvest Church, I did a series... Oh, it has to be like twelve, fourteen years ago. Called "Restoring the Ancient Path." Some of the old timers remember me giving you a church history one like that. I, I was reamed for that one anyway. But uh, and uh, we had an elders meeting. Like you got to stop this series. I mean, it was it was bury that one, Bob. Throw it in file thirteen. It's okay. You're, you're killing the sheep on it because I'm really stoked about church history, but uh, no one else wasn't. But. I hope the parables will be a little bit different that you're finding life in these messages because I have been deeply impacted. I'm, I'm, I'm astounded as I'm studying how a simple story, and I know Sue last week was really complaining as she was teaching that I gave her a short parable. And I'm gonna make her feel better today by preaching on a short parable just so that she can feel better about herself, what I assigned to her. But but uh, just taking a, a short parable how profound! How many profound truths are in just those few lines in the, the depth of Jesus' parables? And as we've studied that, one of the things about Jesus' parables is they they share with us the nature of the kingdom of God. Really, how it works now in your life, in my life, in the world we live in. How it's going to work at the end of the age, and how it's going to work even the age to come. What that what that kingdom looks like. It reveals the nature of that kingdom. Really, how God brings about His plan in you. Okay, how does this thing work? It's it's not a it's not a simple formula. So I've said so many times here about, about God. It's the evidence of God. It's not two plus two equals four. It's more like E equals MC squared, okay? And your journey is that way, the complexity of your journey. And, and uh, you know, some of the things you've gone, the rock bottom things you've hit, and the walls that you have run into, and the mountains that you had to either climb or rebuke or whatever it was. You, your life is complex, but it seems to land you in great places because God's involved in your life, the nature of the kingdom. So last week, Pastor Sue preached on the parable of the hidden treasure, and today we're going to deal with the parable of the pearl of great price. Now, some would say these two parables are really the same. Jesus is dealing with the same truth, the same thing that he was just exhibiting, but two different stories just to kind of ditto the example, and it's just really saying the same thing. There are similarities in these in these uh, parables, but there's a lot of differences too. So I want to first start off, and first, uh, first I actually want actually to read the text here today. So let's read Matthew 13, 45 to 46. Here it is. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So let's look here once again. Let's look at the difference between uh, the, these particular parables, between the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great F- price. The first is this, is that an expert was a, the pearl of great price is about an expert versus a common person the the man in the parable that Sue talked about last week the man who found a field excuse me not find a field but he found a treasure in a field most likely would be a commoner it wasn't a person of any unique significance someone who was a specialist in some area someone who was pronounced I mean, renowned it was just someone who was a per, a person like you and I who who discovered something in a field and bought the field because of what they discovered there where in this parable, the character, the main character is an expert. He's a merchant. And I say, well, that guy, that guy just, you know, is like pure one, okay? He just got a lot of these different goods. No, he was an expert in the area of pearls was what we'll get into. In, in this particular parable, he's searching. And uh, <clears throat> some of you have been searching a long time about stuff in your own journey, Maybe you're looking for God to do something for you, change a situation, reveal something to you, and there's a cry in your heart like, Lord, how long? But the beauty of this story is they doesn't say how long he searched, but it wasn't an overnight search. And I always want to say to you, no matter if you feel like, man, it's been a long time, God's still faithful, you're going to find the pearl. You're going to find the pearl. The other story that Sue shared last week is the man stumbled upon... A field, and he found a treasure. Now, treasures in those days were were usually buried in real estate property, you know, because your your kingdom, your rule, your your secular civil rule changed hands all the time, and there was there was sometimes they weren't really nice to the former regime, and and there was all sorts of things that took place, and usually you fled, or another country comes in because you were. You, you, God was judging you, and, and Israel had come under a lot of rulers. And so if you have, you know, let's just say you have half a million dollars in, in value, and you know uh, another country's coming in to, to uh, you know take over the United States of America, uh, you're probably not going to put a whole lot of faith in your mutual fund. Because the whole economic system gets shut down. It's worth this much one day, and it's worth this much now. All right, and so what gives money value? I mean, what gives money value is what we we say about money. I got a little debit card it that says, that's got value. I was going to go for my money clip, okay? There's my money clip. I got my money clip, and we say this paper has value. It's got power to it. Why? Because we say it. Someone could come in and say it has no power at all. So what you would usually do with your valuables and your treasure and your wealth is you go bury it. You go hide that thing until the time you can come back and, and dig it back up. And uh, so this was common practice. It wasn't something not normal to the to the people. The guy stumbled upon this in the field. Obviously, the person didn't get back. Okay, to come back and collect their treasure. In in the story that we we're reading today, parable reading today versus the parable last week. This merchant is going after one specific thing. Versus in the story, the, the, a parable of the hidden treasure. It's one general. Treasure, but today it's a pearl. It's interesting in the latter part of the of the 19th century, and uh, after many of what we know today as the first and second Great Awakening revivals that really shook England and shook the English Empire and shook the colonies and shook the and shook early the colonial United States as. as as these big uh, revivals took place. But there was a big quest. I'm talking about 1870 to about 1900. And they had these conventions. They were called the Keswick Conventions. And you would know them as Family Camp. And they would go off in the countryside, and they would be digging in. But they were going after a pearl. And here was the great question. They were discovering this teaching about what's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Christina was sharing about Aaron's testimony who walked into our service as a, as, as a just a disturbed seeker of truth who came from a strong Catholic background and he and he came not knowing nothing and got baptized in the Holy Spirit started speaking another language out of his mouth. Okay, they were they were seeing these things in Scripture and they were just asking, "What is this thing called the baptism in the Holy Spirit?" Just wasn't a bunch of few people in the early part of the 20th century. They were searching for a specific pearl. Then uh, in this particular parable, the parable, of, the parable of the pearl of great price, this merchant is on a long journey. As I said, some of you are wanting to see God bring a deliverance that hasn't taken place or a healing that hasn't taken place or the fulfillment of a dream that hasn't taken place. I want you to know that just because it's taking long doesn't mean it's not going to happen. You've been waiting a long time, and you've been knocking a long time, and you've been asking a long time, you've been crying a long time. This parable should encourage you. You've been looking for answers that haven't come yet. This this parable should encourage you that answers can come. It's part of the nature of the kingdom of God. The other guy, and he's just minding his own business, he just stumbled onto a field, and he stumbled onto a treasure. How he found the treasure, Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't make that a part of a story. He could have tripped on it. He could have tripped over a stump and landed on something that kind of caught his curiosity. And that's, that's happened before, you know, you know, throughout church history. And just because he wasn't looking doesn't mean this encounter was shallow. It wasn't at all. Sue was telling about her conversion to Christ and and how God just invaded her. She wasn't like on a journey. I, on the other hand, was had one foot in the mental institution and one foot in the world. I was, I was falling apart, and I was not doing well, and I was asking tons of questions. And, you know, she she could sin and go to Mass. I, I would just stay away from churches altogether. She was just happy with who she was. But when I got saved and I started reading the Bible for months and months and months, you know, all she could say is, Bob, you're my saint. She had goo-goo eyes for me. You're just a saint. Until it was her time to to, to find the treasure in the field. And when it happened, she shared her story last week, it happened rather fast. It wasn't like one was superior to the other. We just all are different in our journeys, are we not? We all have our different paths. Now in this story too, the difference is this particular merchant, I'm going to take this interpretation, knows the Lord. He was a merchant. In other words, he was not just a merchant, he was a merchant of pearls. What he knew a lot about was what he was looking for. It would be like something wanting more of God, but you have an understanding who God is. You have a grasp of the Bible. You've had experiences where Jesus has revealed himself to you. There's knowledge in what you are looking for. You might be a scholar, seminary student. You might be just some 80 year old church lady who just, you know, prayed and interceded your whole life. Okay? Doesn't matter. You know, who the Lord is, and you're going after what you, who you know is real, and you're going after to understand that person more. Now, the, the other per- person discovers the Lord. They just stumble in the treasure in the field, and all of a sudden, bam, here's Jesus. And, you know, well, does that stick, Bob, if they weren't even think, thinking about stuff, and all of a sudden something happened to them? Oh, does it ever stick? Never put God in a box that he has to touch people and bring people in the kingdom in one particular way. He's a God of variety, is he not? He's a God of variety. All right, now, the Pearl of Great Price, this is how I'm applying this today, is about people who know God but hunger for more of him. Because the merchant had knowledge of a pearl. He knew what he was searching for. Because we know the Lord, we know who we're searching for, but we are searching to understand him more, to receive him more, to experience him more, to know him more. Come on, we used to sing a song, I want to know you more. They wanted to know him more. First, what did they want? They wanted understanding. You know, if you study church history, I don't mean to kill you and choke you to death with this thing, but I'm going to lay this out. It really, we stand on the shoulders even today of men and women who sought God for understanding. Luther was a tormented Franciscan monk. His statement about being a monk was this, if I continued as a monk, monkery would have killed me. He would actually go to confession and confess things that the confessor said, why don't you go out and do something worthy to confess? And uh, he was just, he was, he was miserable. He was, he was obsessive. He was neurotic. He was, he was terrified by the presence of God, the knowledge of God. But he had a brilliant mind. And so they didn't know how to help this Franciscan monk from Germany. Had a horrible relationship with his dad. And so his mentor said, why? He says, have you ever read the New Testament? Kind of funny. You're a priest. You've never read the New Testament. But they sent him to Wittenberg to, to actually teach in the, in the seminary there. To train priests, and they, and they, and they, the dangerous thing they did is give the, a tormented guy with a beautiful mind the New Testament, and in that he discovered in the book of Romans that the just shall live by faith, and and and, and there's a righteousness that God gives us by faith in the work of Christ, and it changed it changed human history. It's it's. Whether people realize it or not, it's one of the cornerstones of the United States of America because it was the descendants of that particular man and his revelation that would just live by faith that wanted freedom from getting burned at the stake, and they came to a place called America. Okay, so that's kind of a little bit of real basic American history in a nutshell for you. It affects us. Another guy named John Wesley, the Great Awakening Revivals of the 1700s touched England and it touched the United States of America. Thousands and thousands of people came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Wesley was a key in that. He saw himself as a shallow follower of Jesus. Something was missing from his life until he was in a meeting where he read Luther's writings on Romans, and he says, my heart was warmed, and I became born again. My point is this, is that there there was a quest in their heart to understand more of God. I was saying to two young men who kind of picked my brain the other day, came to visit me. I said, Just remember this is that when Augustine, one of the great theologians of church history, was on his deathbed, the last thing he did, according to the historical account, is he popped up out of bed and he says, I have seen heaven, I've seen glory. And he says, Everything I've written is straw. And he falls back on the pillow and he goes into eternity. <laughs> we, you know, on our best day, we're still dumb. That's my point. My best day, I'm still limited. But he's not, right? He's not. You know, so it speaks to us also of intimacy. We're not talking about knowing the Lord in head knowledge. We're talking about knowing the Lord in personal, experiential knowledge, where I know whom I have believed. That's what Paul says. I know whom I have believed. It wasn't a theology of facts. It was a theology of experience that, that founded the church. It's also it's, it's, it's a, it's a hunger for, for the anointing. The anointing. What does God want to reveal to me? That's the anointing. What's God want to do in me? What does God want to do? Move. How does he want to move through me? You know, some people are just surprised that God uses them. It seems like every time I pray for somebody, they all come back saying they're healed. I don't understand what that's all about. Well, maybe God's doing something through you. That's the anointing, and we want to know more of what that means. And then, of course, the anointing requires a surrender. God reveals something to you and what he wants to do in you or through you, and then that basically costs you your life. Mary is the classic example of this, the mother of Jesus. Be it unto me, According to your word, she was no dumb young Hebrew woman. She knew she knew what this would cost her. This would cost her her reputation. This would cost her probably sacrificing her son. Even in the context, of the way she understood that, it won't be a normal boy. If you ladies got pregnant and you never had sexual relations, you know that the kid you're carrying probably is fairly unique. Probably fairly unique. Okay, she understood accusations and the reputation being destroyed and pe- persecution and you know, whatever this takes, be it unto me according to you where I submit to you. Once God reveals himself to you, you say, okay, I better submit to this. And then of course that involves sacrifice. You know, it, this, this pearl is a pearl of great value, of great price. It, it, it was to, for this guy to get a hold of it, he would have to buy it. You have to sacrifice to buy it. You ever bought something, and then you couldn't buy anything else, but you got the one thing you bought? You're really happy with it. You know, you bought your car you wanted, and, of course, you haven't eaten out for three months. Okay. You gave up your golf game. Okay. We haven't gone on a vacation in five years. but so I sure got the car I want. Okay. You bought it. That's what you wanted, the pearl of great price. My friend Floyd McClung, who unfortunately still has been in a coma for four or five years, one of the great great missionaries in Central Asia and throughout Amsterdam, lived in the red light district. Dale knew Floyd really well. Floyd said this, salvation is free, but friendship will cost you. So what, to become a friend of God, what are we willing to pay to get closer to Jesus? Why does it have to be that way? And I'm not talking about do 100 jumping jacks and crawl on your knees for six hours, I'm talking about what it's gonna cost you as a result, what's gonna cost you because that took place. So let's talk about the pearl itself, the pearl business in Jesus' day, because it helps us. Remember, one of the hermeneutical principles of interpretation is what did it mean to the crowd that was listening to Jesus tell these stories? Not to us. We don't have any context because it wasn't our culture and our way of life back then. What did it mean to them? Well, first thing is this, is that there were actually few merchants. This was a specialty because there was a targeted consumer population, okay, market for this. And they and they had to have not just a general skill in getting all sorts of gems. They had to have a specialized skill in examining what is a real good pearl and what is not a real good pearl and, uh, and to evaluate that. So this was an elite group of people. You know, I... If you want to have impact in your life, you're going to have to live among the elite. You're going to have to be willing to be different. You're going to have to be willing to go beyond. You're going to have to be willing to do more and experience more. In other words, you can't embrace normal. I know everyone writes talking about new normal. When have we ever had a passion for normal in the first place? We don't want old normal or even new normal. We want, we want uniqueness. This is, a, this is a merchant. He belongs to an elite group of people. We want to be one out of a thousand. You want to be a unique person. If you're an athlete, you're going to go after the gold medal. You're going to be a unique person. You're not going to be like the average person. I want to get a PhD, okay? And you're not going to be like an average person. There's things you're going to have to do to go after that thing that you're going after. Okay, we can't, if, we're, if we our, my, my passion is to be normal, I'll never find the pearl. I will never find the pearl. The other thing is that they were experts in, on pearl. People searched for pearls, had, had full knowledge about the pearl. And the same with us. I think this is speaking to us that has a general knowledge of God. We have a knowledge of God, but we're seeking, searching for more of God, even from what we know now. Sometimes we're so satisfied that we seem to know what we know versus searching the scriptures like the Bereans did and search the scriptures even to see if Paul was preaching the right thing. We got to be on a journey where we are, we were grabbing a hold of this thing because of our knowledge. And then we, it, it was a refined ambition. They're going after the pearl. He's going after the one thing. You know, David said this in Psalm 27 about the one thing. Verse four, you've heard this many times. He says, I have asked the Lord for one thing. That is what I desire. Well, what is the one thing that David wanted? Here, here it is. Here it is. I want to live in the Lord's house all the days of my life so I can gaze at the splendor of the Lord and to contemplate in his temple. You know, really at the end of the day, the one thing is him. But I want to make sure when I see him that I said, Lord, I, I fulfilled what you wanted me to do. And I became the person you wanted me to become. I hope that that's part of my one thing, that I can say that to them. It was also a royal market. And I said that, that this was kind of a unique targeted consumer market because, because the, the, the pearl only really was for the wealthy. Of course, the poor couldn't afford it most expensive gem of the, of the world at that time, a pearl was, something that Cleopatra would wear. In fact, she's got a classic famous nugget that she wore, a pearl, that could sell for millions of dollars. Okay, so it was, it was the it was Caesar, Julius Caesar, wouldn't let anybody except the wealthy buy pearls. So I was working with the rich and famous in my product. It was an elite group of people. I just want to say you belong to an elite group of people. If you're gonna go after the pearl, you're gonna to belong to an elite group that says, I, the, I want more of God group. I wanna be a knocker. I want that kind of a knocker. I wanna be a chaser. I wanna be a crier. I wanna be a searcher. I wanna be a seeker. I, I'm hungry for more. So the pearl of value means that we're not a normal pearl. We're not looking for a normal pearl. We're, we're not just looking for clock in and clock out. Christianity, we're looking at something of value. We're we're looking at something that has high value and a high price. Now, what's this look like? Well, it's produced by a living organism. You may not know how a pearl comes uh, into existence, but I want to say this. It's the only gemstone in the world that's produced by a living organism. Now, what happens, you got You got uh, mollusks, or things like oysters, things like mussels. How many people like oysters here? How many people do not like oysters here? How many people try to act like you like oysters so you can kind of be cool? And how's the oyster? Ah, so good. Mm, Okay. But they are oysters, and an oyster, an irritant can get into the shell. Something from nature that so something can get in there, and of course it, it doesn't like it. You don't like when you get a speck in your eye, or get like sawdust in your eye, or you know, something's in you just want to get out. Even like if you got a big booger in your nose, you just want to get it out. You know what I'm saying? Something's kind of invaded you. All right? Something's got in there, an irritant is in there, and you're digging it out. So, what what this shell does is it basically creates a substance. That wraps around that irritant, like a bandage around a wound, and it keeps doing it over and over and over and over and over again. And out of it, pop, comes a pearl. It's not created by man's technology, it's created by a living organism. Now we what what God wants to do through you is not going to happen because you go to a seminar and you're going to get 10 how-to's: how to pray, how to read how to worship, how to do that. When you're not a robot, this thing's birthed out of a living relationship with Jesus. When I got saved, I, I, I could, you know, my dad was a general contractor, was not, was not a, a, a sanctified man. I was raised in a gym, okay? And I, and I was around construction workers. So you can just imagine what my language was like. Well, I didn't get all cleaned up. But, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't. I didn't fit the part of a good church boy, but I was hungry for God. I was hungry for God. My first sermon, I swore. I, it was really good. I was the thief on the cross. I, I told all the prisoners I was preaching to, this guy was a badass. After I was done preaching, this prisoner behind the bars at Kittitas County Jail goes, man, that makes a lot of sense, man. I mean, well, what was God doing? He was delighting in this foul-mouthed servant that he just touched, that he was gonna work through. Not justifying being crass, or, but we get so uptight about stuff and, and, we, and we lose out the fact that we have a living person who wants to live his life through us. And he'll take us right where we're at. You're the product of a living person and a living relationship that's produced something in you. These three people got baptized today. God has been at work in them. Not a concept, God has. It's valued by size, shape, color. Luster means it's sharpness, it's not dull. And it's, and its surface quality, it's smooth. Okay, so it has something that's very, 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 very qualitative to say this is a valuable pearl. What we want to be is a valuable follower of Jesus. You know, I, I, my friend Dale Trollinger here, he's my friend. What I deeply appreciate about him, as I do a lot of people in this church, is that he's a man who's been tempered by time, tempered by the dealings of God. And when he's gone through some deep things, he discovered Jesus in a brand new way, not just in feeling, but he went on journeys and he read and he studied and he gave himself. And out of his life comes grace and out of his life comes wisdom and out of his life comes anointing because because God's been working on a valuable pearl. Same is true for you. This is why how-tos drive me nuts. I'm not going to give you five how-tos today. I'm going to give you a concept and leave you to Jesus. Let him work that out with you. The the, the valuable pearl stood apart from the normal pearls. It was different than normal pearls. You know, um, you can't get what's called a cultured pearl, how I many people have heard that name, a cultured pearl? You go know, most most people, that's what you get. It's basically raised in an oyster bed, and and uh, but they inject stuff into the shell to produce that covering around the irritant. They create that technologically. But a natural pearl, and these days specifically, we're at the bottom of oceans, and it was very dangerous for pearl drive divers to go down and try to find them, dig them out, sometimes risk their own life and uh, to, to get those pearls. They have not been created by any injection of man, but it's all been the work of God, the work of God. And so therefore this pearl, because of its qualities, it stands apart. How are you willing to study? Are you willing to read more? Take a class, beef up your prayer life, go the extra mile, do something different, something more, just to bring you closer to Jesus. Come on, do you want to stand apart? You want to be part of the elite company? You know, I belong to a kind of an exercise cult called CrossFit. Their tagline is elite fitness. That's kind of arrogant. That means that my fitness is elite. One guy had a t-shirt on that said, my warm-up, excuse me, my warm-up is your workout. And uh Kirby's been with me in that world. Okay, but spiritually, we want to be people that are not out of pride, but out of knowing them to be part of that elite class of people. It's formed by an irritant of nature, not developed technology. Come on, it, it, it actually, that thing gets in the shell and it creates a crisis. And that creates the knock ray that comes and, and starts covering that thing over and over and over again to make what you know today is a smooth, beautiful pearl. What irritants have been in your life? What suffering has been in your life? You know, I'll never forget when I first discovered the wisdom of why I went through what I went through the first 19 years of my life, dealing with a single parent, paranoid schizophrenic. I was speaking to the, national, the state conference of the National uh, Association for the Mentally Ill. And uh, they, I was a lunch speaker, and I started sharing my story. It was a crowd about this size. About 10 minutes of my stories, people were walking in the back weeping and bawling, not because of my story, but because of their pain. And as I was sharing with them, I, it wasn't a part of my notes, it wasn't part of my speech, I said, you know, I'm asked many times as a pastor, how can I reconcile, you know, God allowing this scenario and stress in my life? And just out of just spontaneous, I said, because in it God has taught me to love like Christ. And it was an epiphany to me. My own mouth taught me what the meaning of my life has been. What irritant is in your life? Because in that, God is forming a pearl of value. And in that, he's bringing you to know him as the God of great value, the God of the high price that's going to do wonderful things in your life. But we've got to allow the irritant to take place. The merchant. Oh, the merchant. Well, he was a man of knowledge. He was a scholar. Most likely, he knew his stuff if we apply it spiritually. You could be like a, like a you know, church lady you know just spends all the hours in church just praying and digging in Jesus. She, she knows Jesus. Come on, he was, was after, as we talked about, the one thing. You know, this is what Paul was like. He was after the one thing. He wrote the Philippians. This is not a brand new Christian, by the way. Paul writes his letter to the Philippians from a jail in Rome after his third missionary journey and after he's been under house arrest for two years. It's written, most people think, around 56 A.D., Okay, he's not too far from getting beheaded and entering into church history. He's one of the great martyrs. But this is Paul's heart from jail to this, to this church at Philippi. He says, I indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, what's everything in this context? He was bragging about his pedigree and his religious accomplishments. He says, I count it as lost. I don't care. I'd rather know Jesus. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things he did because he taught that salvation is through Jesus and count them, his achievements, his his accolades, his religious system, okay, his morality, I count them as rubbish. Why? In order that I may gain Christ. What would you rather have? A room full of trophies or Jesus? Jesus. What would you rather have? You want to win a theological debate because you're smarter than the other guy? Or would you rather have Jesus? You see, sometimes we would rather, you know, just be the hottest Christian around or would you rather have Jesus? Goes on to say, not having my own righteousness of my own that comes from the law or some type of system that I follow, but that which comes through faith in Christ. It's a righteousness from God that God gave me. I didn't earn. That depends on faith and who Jesus is and what he's done for me. That's our boast. That I may know him. Come on. Not seminary or not just knowledge, but I know him. And I know the power of his resurrection. Now, this is not some apologetic statement why I know Jesus rose again from the dead. And I, I'm going to debate somebody. But I know by the power in me that he rose again from the dead. I faced it. I was lost. I'm found. I was bound. I'm free. I was insane. I'm sound. <laughs> they saw the man from Gennesaret fully clothed and in his right mind. Jesus, here was Jesus' training. Go back to your people and tell them the good things the Lord's done for you. There it is. There it is. That I might share in his sufferings. That's the price. Not I suffered again, but I suffer as a result because the world and the enemy will not understand. And I become like him in his death. That's our surrender. When the merchant was this guy, he was he was also, he's after the one thing, but he was a seeker. He was a knocker. Come on, he was a chaser. Say to the person after the service, Are you a chaser? Are you a knocker? Let me see your knuckles. Jesus knocked, knocked, knocked. I said, Go away. I can't go away. I can't go away. I'm going to keep knocking until you come to the door. Are you a knocker? Are you a seeker? Are you a chaser? He was perseverant. He did not give up on his pursuit. Come on, some of you I just cry for. You're asking God, when God, when God, when God, when God. I just want to give you a word today that there is coming answers to your dreams, answers to circumstances, answers to prayer. Do not give up. Do not give up. How long? God will determine that in his sovereignty, but you don't give up. Church I got saved in, There was a man, all his organs were twisted in his body, all of them, just twisted. I can't tell you how it was, but he he couldn't sit up. He was just like contorted like this because his organs were all shifted. He received prayer and prayer and prayer and prayer and prayer and prayer, nothing. He was in a small group. I don't know what they were doing, studying the Bible, praying. And all of a sudden, like, you remember, you know, uh, men in black, you know, and uh, the, the guy, the farmer that gets kind of inhabited by the, by the alien, he kind of, uh, uh, that's exactly what happened to him. All the organs of his body came into alignment. He was healed. What was he doing? He was just trusting and living out life. Come on, you're going to be persevere because you're going to be a pearl seeker. He was a discerner of the authentic. Come on, he knew when it was a good pearl The color, the shape, the luster, the smoothness. He knew this is the real thing. Now here's my complaint about people in my part of Christianity, Pentecostal charismatic Christians. We run to this conference and we run to that social media. We run to that prophet. No one even examines if these guys are legit or not. My son-in-law gathered just bunches of pastors here here this last week and just had a refreshing party for pastors. They've just been through so much during this last 16 months. And they played games and did it. One of the things that they did is fun games with these pastors that they had a, you know, like family feud, they had pastor feud. You know what one of the questions was? Question, prophecies that didn't get fulfilled in 2020. Ah. You know, these guys are following and this is gonna happen, this is gonna happen, and nothing happened. And no one called them into an account. It's happening, though, finally. First time in my Christian experience, where I'm finally people standing up and saying, you know, listen, enough of this baloney. These are not the world. This is Christians and Christian leaders. We just kind of, we don't want to judge and we don't want to do this. You know why they are doing that? Because they know that we'll become a mockery to the world. The, the, the seeker of pearls wanted the real thing. Authentic. Here it is. This is a pearl show me that pearl, oh that's a little cultured thing oh look how rough that is, very dull doesn't shine, look at the size of this thing, look at the smoothness of this thing, come on this is, the real, this is produced at the bottom of the ocean floor diver risked his life for this one, this is one of great price I want the authentic he was willing to pay all he had to possess that one thing What are we willing to pay for? I'm going to tell you the one thing that Jesus clearly hated. There's a few things. He hated man-made religious laws that destroyed people. He hated that. But he also, he hated unbelief. But he hated, he hated indifference. Book of Revelation, I'd rather have you hot or cold. Hot or cold. You know, someone can come up to me after service, just say, Bob, I just thought that your sermon was a joke. I'm never coming back here. Bob, what would you do? I'm saying that guy's getting close to the kingdom of God. That's right. He's hot. Yeah. Better someone like, huh? Doesn't mean it's all over. Means he's on a journey. He's a little bit irritated. Yeah. Means he's a little irritant in the, in the shell going on. And he's becoming a beautiful pearl. That's what that means. Come on, he was a man of spiritual hunger. Come on. Now there's a difference between longing for a relationship with God and possessing it. The beautiful thing is God's waiting upon us. So today I'm going to ask us, like my prayer captains to come on up here, my ministry captains. Drive a stake in the ground today. That's what I'm asking you. Let's drive a stake in the ground and build an altar. Maybe that's you going off and starting a journal this week. Collect your thoughts. Where am I at? Begin to say, I'm going to stop coasting. Begin to say, I'm not going to be the same again. Begin to say, I'm, not, I'm going to be different. Begin to say this. Why not? Why not? Why not? Just go after stuff. How I many... somebody might say this, I'm going to get up from disillusionment. I'm going to get up from discouragement. I'm going to get up from defeat. I'm going to get up from distraction or laziness, and I'm going to pursue the one thing. I'm going after the pearl.